1: Kellen, I remember uh, one time in high school, I was taking a college course for anatomy and physiology because I thought I was going to be a doctor one day. I thought I was going to be a radiologist, actually, which your wife also thought she was going to do that. And we thought we were going to do that at the same time. And then neither of us ended up doing that. Me, uh, the reason I didn't was because in that class, I nearly passed out during a video um, of a knee surgery. Mm. And another video of a facelift. And for some reason, just watching them peel the skin off of a woman's face, I just, yeah, I didn't pass out. But I got lightheaded and I was like, is this really, you know, what I want to do? Yeah, which I'm a little surprised because I wasn't
0: in that class. Um, But I do remember what I heard the most people had the most trouble with, I think was a vasectomy. Uh, I don't know
1: if I saw a vasectomy. Oh. Anyway, something... I must have skipped that day. I I, I would have thought that would have been what <laughs> you'd be most sensitive to. Well, it's funny because some videos didn't bother me at all. And like I feel still like I have a decently high tolerance for seeing certain things. And then there's, for whatever reason, something that I'll see that will just trigger me. And I... Hmm. Um, the reason I bring all that up is to say that in that class, I learned that... Uh, they talk about our muscles and what it takes to fire our muscles and how much our muscles work to even just do the slightest thing, right? To speak, to raise my eyebrows, to walk. Our muscles are under this constant stress and pressure um, and they're always working and that work is done by energy. And I think that just kind of, it just struck me how much energy is required to make the world work. Even if we go back hundreds of years before the types of energy that we think about today were prolific, um, just to keep a human being alive requires so much energy, and that being the topic of today's episode, uh, I just thought it would be kind of interesting to to start with that—the difference between um, somatic energy which is energy that we do with our own bodies versus extrasomatic energy, which is energy that we get from outside sources. And maybe just do like a quick 30-second recap of our episode on energy from Breaking Down Collapse where we talked about those different energy sources. Yeah, and I think
0: one thing that was eye-opening from when we did have that conversation was the idea of energy slaves, right? This idea of like, it's kind of a unit for An amount of energy that, uh, you know, we get to take advantage of from even the most simple things. Um, You know, you can look at a light bulb and how much of an energy slave that is. And I'm sure you can describe this better than I can. But like when you get into a car, your car is, the engine is like a certain horsepower, right? And like you think about somatic energy and and if we didn't have any of our modern technological advancements helping us do all these things, how much energy would we have to exert to be able to do those same things? And it's just amazing. Like, it's amazing
1: the amount of, like,
0: energy slaves we have working for us all the time.
1: Yeah, I don't remember the exact numbers. I wish I wish I did. I should go back and listen to, I think it was episode three of the podcast. Um, but it was, it was something wild when it came to the car, it was like, it would take 45 people, uh, 48 hours to push your car the same distance that you can drive in an hour at 60 miles an hour or something like that. Um, and it just shows how much we have access to today that we don't think about from the lights that we turn on, right. To the food on our table, which came from halfway across the world, um, to to every little thing, the water in our tap and all of that requires a vast amount of energy and we I mean we we know that because we hear about you know gas prices and oil prices and fluctuations in natural gas availability and all these different things but I don't think we really internalize the amount of energy required to make the world work today the way that it does and I mean that's a huge part of the Breaking Down Collapse podcast is this idea that one day we are going to have to do without all of the energy that we have access to today it's going to become more scarce it's going to become more expensive um and simply in order to survive we're going to have to find ways to do without it yeah yeah and I don't and going back to that I don't remember
0: the numbers either but if you think about the lifestyle that we get to enjoy today. And for like the average person in the Western world, let's say it's, it's basically the equivalent of you having a thousand people working 24 seven just to provide you with what you have. And if you think about what it would take, like lifestyle wise to go back to just being you. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not that we will have to revert all the way back to that, but as, like you said, energy becomes more scarce or more expensive, or there are just more outages, shortages, um, uh, w- whatever it looks like, it's it's eye-opening to think, like, if I want to be resilient to whatever might come my way in the future, a key component of that is making sure that I can take care of my energy needs.
1: Yeah, and you might say it's one of the most vital needs because Every facet of resilience requires energy in some way, right? Food, uh, how you're going to grow it, how you're going to, if you need to transport it, how that's going to happen, cooking it, right? All of that requires energy. Same with water, transporting it from A to B, getting it to where it needs to be to drink it, purifying it. All of these things are going to require energy of some sort. Um, Your shelter, heating your home, cooling your home. That's a huge energy requirement. So, um, there are, there are needs for energy in everything that we do. So let's talk about a few different like types of energy, um, that we use today and that we might have access to in the future through different ways. We already mentioned somatic energy. One note that I'll make there, uh, again, somatic energy is energy provided by our own bodies. So, um, by doing any sort of work yourself, you are providing an energy source If you were on a bicycle and that bicycle was hooked up to a light bulb and by you pedaling it powered the light bulb, like that is somatic energy giving you light. Now, that's not um, something that I think we're going to be doing in resilience is keeping lights on by powering bicycles, but we are going to be doing a lot of work with our own bodies, right? If the transportation of water from the nearby creek to your home is done, you know, three gallon jugs at a time or five gallon jugs at a time, you have to have... The ability to do that. So one part of that is the um, the food uh, episode, right? The ability to stay nourished and strong, and being able to to actually carry that out. And then the second part is the physical health. Um, it's not just about eating right, but also staying healthy, exercising in a way that allows you to do that. The stronger you are, right? The more your the more energy your muscles are able to perform and and for longer periods. So um somatic energy is going to be a big one. And then when it comes to to extra somatic energy, there's either going to be ways to access that during emergencies, right? Um or we have to find ways to store it in a way that we can use it when we need it. Yeah, and I think that's where
0: we'll start to see a pattern here. When it comes to food, you'll remember we talked about like yes, at some point you want to get 6 months of food storage or a year of food storage. However much, but like step one is you need to have just the very short term amount of food storage. You have enough for a 72 hour kit. So that way, if there's just a crisis, an emergency, you can at least have enough to get by for a few days. Like you got to start with that. The same thing goes with water. Yes. Eventually you want to have like enough water or ways of, of getting your own water to get by, but at least have you know, some water stored up to be able to get by in the case of just a short-term emergency. Yep. Finances, you talk about like, yes, you want to get out of debt and you want to have all these different income streams and you want to make sure that you have a sufficient amount of savings, but at least first, like try to build up a savings of a thousand dollars, just an emergency fund. So same thing here, uh, applies with energy where, Yes, there are all these different ways that you can become more independent with many different forms of energy, ways that you can um, be able to source energy and also store energy like you're talking about. Uh, but at least initially, you need to be able to evaluate what your biggest risks are and to kind of get ahead of those and mitigate those, have something that can get you by for at least a couple of days and all of that is to say that you know that it it is so great if somebody can get to the point where they are just completely independent they don't rely on anybody else for their energy needs you're off grid you're growing your own food you've got the creek for your water whatever right like you you just you don't rely on any sort of public utilities or any sort of infrastructure that that's community based that's great i think for most people that's not a reality And not even probably worth trying to get all the way to that point. So if if you just have like electricity because you pay your power bill and that's your primary source of energy, uh, that's okay. That's fine if that works for you. Um, But it's it's good to be thinking about a secondary source of energy, uh, maybe even a tertiary source of energy if needed. And to illustrate this, let me just give an example. So... For my family, when I think about our needs, we would probably be fine in almost every way without electricity, uh, for a few days. Like even if every, th- all the food in the fridge went bad, we have other food we could eat and all of our other needs, we can, those can be met for a few days without any electricity, except in one case. And that's in the case of extreme heat or cold and we happen to live in a place where we get pretty intense winters and and you know pr- pretty good heat in the summers so in my case um what i've been working towards uh we've mentioned here that like you and i are framing our uh, my my home and like a big priority for me when kind of designing and planning our home was to have a a chimney so that we could have a wood burning fireplace. We actually plan to have two fireplaces in our home. One is a gas fireplace and the other is wood burning. To me, it's because like my, the the thing that I'm most paranoid of that I think is the biggest risk. If, if all of a sudden we didn't have electricity, we didn't have energy is being in the middle of winter. And how would I make sure my family's prepared for that? So, if we have like, if we do have electricity and we do have, uh, gas, then great, I can run my furnace. Um, if we don't have electricity, then to have this gas fireplace that I can still light it with a match, right? And, and still get heat from that, that provides me some comfort. And if I don't have, uh, if I don't have gas available, Then to have the wood burning fireplace, like that's my go to. And in the case that I don't have gas, but I do have electricity, then I could, you know, I've got a space heater that I could use. So I'm trying to cover my bases and get as much redundancy as possible in that one area of risk because that's what I see as the thing that I'm most worried about. For somebody else, they might live in a mild climate where even at the extremes, they'd probably be fine without heating or air conditioning. Um, But maybe in their case, like they need electricity to, to be able to power an oxygen machine. Or maybe they have like another, some sort of critical medical device that they need to be able to recharge. Or maybe they have medications that have to be refrigerated, right? So maybe for them, it's like the best thing they can do is to get just a small generator Make sure they know how to operate it and they can be prepared if, if all of a sudden they don't have electricity coming to their home to, to be able to mitigate their biggest risks. So again, it comes back to what your situation is, what your biggest risks, risks are, all your variables. But I think it's a very smart thing to do is just to look at like, if I didn't have energy uh, in my primary way, how could I take care of that at least short term?
1: One thing that a lot of people think about when they're talking about becoming resilient, some people cling on to this idea of maintaining the same level of comfort through hard times that they have now. We think about like our climate controlled homes at 68 degrees Fahrenheit, right? And the fact that it never deviates from that. And then you consider how much energy that requires. And suddenly it's like, oh, wow. Like, I better have, um, you know, just this intense amount of solar panels to make that function. And I can't afford that, you know, And, and suddenly you're like, oh, there's just no way. We just, I think, need to get used to this idea that we're going to be less comfortable than we are now. Another way to kind of phrase what you've just kind of put together is ask yourself the question, what is it that keeps me alive right now? Right, And of course, it's probably going to start with the main three pillars, the food, the water, the shelter. Um, and there might be other things like you've mentioned, like life-saving or life-requiring medications that are refrigerated or the CPAP machine or whatever it is. Um, you need to consider what those things are. What keeps me alive today? What energy is being used or expended to make those things happen? And then what's the minimum amount of energy that I could get by with, right? Okay, yes, uh, it hits in the negative degrees um, Fahrenheit here. It can get down to negative 20. So, I mean, one winter we got down to negative 30, I remember. So if that were to ever happen, like, how how do I keep myself warm? And those are extreme scenarios. So you can start to think about your tertiary and in, in, in say, as, as far as like, if I was going to go with the solar route, I wanted solar panels on my roof. I don't have to have enough solar panels to keep my house at sixty-eight degrees Fahrenheit. I could survive if the house was at forty five degrees Fahrenheit um for a couple of days. It might be tough, I might have to, you know, have lots of layers on and it wouldn't be super comfortable, but I could get by. And when it's less extreme, when maybe it's only thirty degrees outside, that might mean that I could get my house up to fifty five degrees and be okay. Don't always think about how do I have enough energy to keep things the way they are now, but how do I have enough to keep alive and safe and comfortable? And that way you're able to to manage where to start and the amount of energy that you actually need to a much lower degree, right? You don't need to heat the entire house. You might just want to heat the one room in which you have that fireplace and that is enough to survive on for a short period of time. So, um, yeah, be thinking about those things. Don't try and go to this big extreme and say, I've got to get all of the energy and all of the off-grid stuff because if not, there's just no way to survive. Get the, get the minimum minimum amount that you need to get by and then you can build from there and also build those redundancies from there as well. You know, we're looking at doing solar on our house and Um, I'm not sure if we're going to be able to afford it yet or not. I'm really hoping so. And even with the solar and a decent amount of solar, typically, and and there might, you know, the companies you talk to, there might be different scenarios here, but it's not going to be a full house, cover everything that you've got solar. Typically, it's going to be, you know, in my case, I said, we we can, you can pick three circuits Mm. and like, we will keep those three circuits running. Um, So pick your most valuable ones, pick the circuits that run your refrigerators and your freezers, pick the ones that might run your AC, if that's important, you know, whatever it is, pick the right circuits. And those are the circuits that will power and that your battery backup will power as well. And so even with that, like, unless you have a lot of money and you're willing to spend a lot of money your lifestyle is not going to stay the same. So just get used to sort of that idea of maybe even collapsing now to avoid the rush, getting used to being less comfortable now or requiring less, but at the very least being willing to get by with less if it's needed.
0: Yeah. Well said. And I, I, and I noticed that in these episodes, we often kind of revert back to saying like, make sure you don't overwhelm yourself. Like at least start with this, you know, and, and if that seems too overwhelming, then, then do this as a minimum, and i think that's good like it's a good reminder even for me because there are so many different facets of resilience and uh i i just appreciate you saying like it doesn't have to be that you're recreating the same standard of living or the same lifestyle that you live currently when it comes to energy you can downgrade for a while as needed and and just make sure that your like most basic needs are met so, I think it's worth bringing up a couple of other just practical tips and tricks um as it relates to like short term if all of a sudden you don't have power. Um one of those that, that again going back to like the 72-hour kit idea, it's good to keep in mind that you should probably have some sort of like a a power brick or something that you can recharge devices. We've become so reliant on like our cell phones because they're not just phones, right? They do all these other things that we need. You never know if you're going to need a calculator <laughs> during an emergency. <laughs> I'm glad you're on the same page. <laughs> yeah, but you get what I'm saying. So if you totally. can if you can have some sort of a, a battery backup or something for a cell phone um, or for whatever devices that you think you would need and have maybe an extra charger or two at the ready – in terms of like 72 hour kit you just need to go and you need to have the energy that, that you can get by with
1: and they do they sell relatively cheap power banks um you know that you can get like really big nice solar ones that could keep you powering small devices for as long as you needed with a little solar panel attached to it right those are gonna be a little more pricey but as far as just having a little power bank 30 to $50 and you can have a pretty decent power bank that will charge your phone several times, charge a couple other small devices as needed. And it's nice because you get something like that. You know, we've got
0: a couple of those that they're not super fancy, but it's like, it even has a little flashlight on it. Mm -hmm. Um, and those hold their charge for a really long time. So it's really only every few months that we need to like check it, recharge it. Um, and, and you can line that up with some of the other things that you're doing. Like I told you, we've been on kind of this six-month cadence with our water where we've got these, these tanks of water. Uh, we we dump it out and refill it every six months. And on that six-month mark, that can be when you also recharge the batteries and when you do X, Y, Z. That way you're not just always having you know to, to keep up with an endless list of tasks to stay resilient. But, if you look at some of the resources that the Red Cross has, um they talk about a lot of things. I'm just gonna pull out a few that I think are n- noteworthy. So one of them is like keep your refrigerator closed as much as possible uh So often people are just in the habit throughout the day they want a snack, they want whatever they go to their fridge, they open it um same thing with a freezer. If you keep a refrigerator closed, um it can your food should stay refrigerated for about four hours, uh, your freezer, if it's closed, depending on how full it is, it will keep things frozen for 24 to 48 hours. So obviously you're going to have to access your food at some point, um, in the case of an emergency, but the least amount of time possible that you can actually have the door open, the better.
1: And it, and you know, depending on the the emergency and the length of the emergency, maybe you don't need to access that food. If it is a pretty short term emergency, and you know it's going to be, maybe we're even just talking about a car accident. You know, a mile away, turn your power off for a while. Like, save the food. <laughs> don't you know? Don't use it. If you do think that, hey, you know, the power's just gone out, and it could very well be out for days at this point then yeah consume the food as fast as you can right because it's going to waste otherwise but yeah just be strategic about whether or not you open that fridge and use the food or just try not to even touch it uh, so that you can continue to use it once the power's back good
0: another recommendation they have is to just have a little styrofoam cooler on hand and that way um for the most critical things you can put some ice in there from your freezer pack it all in and it, it should stay
1: cold for a long time. This is going to sound so painfully obvious um, to so many people, but something that some people may not just think about. If your power goes out in the winter, (laughs) you know, a lot of places might have four to six months of the year in which the outside is as cold or colder than the inside of your fridge. Like you can remove those items, take them outside, bring them back in. Um, If it's going to be a prolonged period of time, keep those items outside, um, Again, I know that's a stupid, silly thing to to even have to say, but just something to be considering, consider the outside temperature. Yeah. And and people sometimes wonder
0: whatever their method is for trying to keep their food cold. If they've got stuff in the freezer and then it starts to thaw to some degree, they're like, well, can I refreeze it? Uh, The Red Cross says that if it doesn't get above 40 degrees, as long as you keep it below 40 degrees, you should be able to refreeze it and it'll be fine. Um. Along with that, they recommend that you have a digital thermometer on hand that you can just check the internal temperature of food just to be sure. A couple of other things like flashlight, we take for granted how just having lights on, right? And maybe you've got, uh, maybe you've got a generator or you've got solar panels or whatever. And, and in your case, like you're trying to look at solar and they're telling you that you can have, what, three circuits. But like for the other places in your house, if you just need to get around and get what you need and you want to stay safe and not trip over things, a flashlight. I'm important. just going to cram as much as I can into those three circuits. <laughs> just put your whole house on those three <laughs> circuits. <laughs> um, extra batteries, of course, would be great for that as well. And then a couple of things when it comes to generators, and I, it's not. we probably don't need to get into this in depth right now. We can do it more in the future but I think about the Texas freeze that happened in the last couple of years. And there were so many people that died because of improper use of the generators that they had. Right. Right. So first of all, um, plug stuff into your generator, like use an extension cord or whatever. Don't attempt in that moment to hook up your generator to your home's electrical system. And, uh, I worked for an electrical company at one point and sometimes we would install these really big, nice generators at homes that will kick on and power the home. And and that's a different situation. But if you're just talking about a small generator that, you know, can take care of your very basic needs, don't try to mess with your home's electrical system at that time. Just plug the most vital things into it from the inside. Yes. And then please put it outside. Um, keep it away from windows, you know, that, that you could have open at the time. Um, don't even put it in your garage. That was a, mis- a mistake that a lot of people made was they think, well, it's not inside my house cause it's in my garage, but even then it's, uh, filling everything up and there's, there's risk of par- carbon monoxide poisoning. So make sure your generator is outside and away from the home enough that you're not going to run that risk. And then, uh, this isn't related to generators specifically, but I remember when we were first talking about the principles of resilience, we said something about how like it becomes a lifestyle, right? And there's just certain things that you just end up doing on a regular basis. One of those is just to try to keep your car's gas tank Hmm. at least half full. Yeah. And these last couple of years, my wife and I have tried to get a little bit better at that. We don't always do well. But instead of waiting till it gets down to empty and then going to the gas station and refilling, just once it gets down around halfway, then you go refill the gas. That way you've always got enough uh,
1: gas in the tank to make sure you've got that energy need taken care of. Yeah, it's so funny because <clears throat> I'm terrible at that. I don't know why. There's something psychological about like, I'm just going to drain every last bit out of it. Like right now, I think the car says that we've got like 16 miles left or something, right? And I'm like, why Why do I do that? Because it's going to cost the same either way. And some people say it even costs less if you keep it at half full because the empty the tank is, the faster it um, evaporates, the fumes and all that. I don't know if that's true or not really and if it makes any difference at all. But But there's no harm in just filling up more frequently. Instead of paying $50 to fill it up, you're paying $25 twice as often to fill it up and you're way more safe. If you need to get out and go somewhere in a pinch, you can. If you need the fuel to siphon it out for your generator or whatever, I mean, most generators are diesel, but but the idea is that you have that energy source there ready for you in case um, you don't have access to it later.
0: Yeah. So those are some practical things. There's so much more that we will be diving into in the future in regards to energy, But uh, hopefully this is one of those things where you listen to it and you're like, oh, I should do that one thing better. I should do that better just to make sure at least in the short term, if there's a crisis or an emergency, you're taken care of. And then you can begin to worry about some of the more long term solutions.
1: Great. So there are a ton of things that we could and will go into. Right. I'm excited for future episodes where we can do an entire episode on how to prepare and protect firewood. Right. And, and solar panels go into the details about that and different generators and how to use them safely and which generator to choose and how much they cost and where you can get them and all that type of stuff. Cause I think we will go through all of that. Um, for now, start with that question that we mentioned, what do I need to stay alive and what energy sources are required? What level of comfort do I have now? And what level, what level of comfort could I survive in? And then what energy do I need to prepare and have stored up for that? You don't have to start by having all of that in place all at once. Start with something simple, start for a short-term emergency. You'll get a little confidence from that. Go from there, build up uh, to the point where you can cover your most basic, but important, your most vital needs. And then you can start looking at the redundancies and, and how to double and triple protect yourself and then go to longer longer periods and all that. But, It's one of those things that you you can't do all at once unless you have tens of thousands of dollars to be able to do that, but you can start with very little money to make little steps to help make sure that you are prepared for these emergencies.